0: Our guest today is a zero-waste advocate that has been living plastic-free since 2011. She's the inspirational woman behind Zero Waste Chef and always have an amazing zero-waste recipe to share. Crazy Birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Anna-Marie Bono. Thanks for having me. You're most welcome. So how did your sustainable journey actually
1: start? I had been reading about plastic in the oceans, and a catamaran had caught my attention. These environmentalists had built it out of 12,000 empty plastic bottles and other waste materials, and they sailed it from San Francisco, which is just north of where I live, to Sydney, actually. They wanted to raise awareness, and so that raised my awareness. wanted to raise awareness of the plastic swirling around in the oceans. So I started reading about it, and you know, was horrified. I had always recycled and I thought, well, you know, I'm doing my part. This is what I thought before I started reading. I thought, well, I'm doing my part. You know, plastic's terrible, but I'm putting it in the recycling bin. And so, you know, I'm doing my part, but no. You know, then I started reading about how plastic pollution was affecting animals. You know, it's heartbreaking. So I told my daughter, my older daughter, Mary Catherine at the time, I said, we have to get off of this stuff. I just don't want anything to do with it. I mean, I'm alive. So being alive, I am going to play a part. (laughs) But I wanted to drop out as much as I could. So I remember we were standing in the bathroom tissue aisle at a grocery store when we had decided to kick the plastic. And I looked at her and I said, how are we ever going to do this? I can't even find bathroom tissue without plastic. It's, It's impossible. So then she started doing research. She actually found Beth Terry's blog my plastic free life. And so that's how we got started. We started taking the steps that Beth Terry had outlined. And it just kind of snowballed from there.
0: Oh wow, what a journey. And I mean, just standing there and being overwhelmed, that's probably how well I definitely felt like that and I'm sure a lot of our listeners also felt like that, you know, when when you're so overwhelmed by plastic and you just don't know where to start it's really really overwhelming it's hard but like I always say if you just take it like one step at a time it should be okay one
1: challenge at a time yep don't try and do it all at once make one change at a time and then you get used to it and then it becomes routine you know I don't find it difficult now
0: oh wow but at
1: first it was (laughs) at first it was a
0: big challenge so you've you've done quite a lot of swaps and one of the swaps that I still haven't really made that you've made, which I'm super proud about, is that you've basically traded in your store bought heast for a wild heast and today you have like your own sourdough starter and crazy birds, she's named it Eleanor. And how did that start?
1: Oh, well, so I had baked bread since my older daughter was born. And her one grandmother had owned a bakery, she and her husband. So I asked my mother-in-law to show me how to make bread after Mary Catherine was born. And she showed me. And at the end, she said, but a real baker uses yeast that's in the air. And I thought, well, that's not possible. But anyway, so I baked for years with baker's yeast. And then when we went plastic-free... I wanted to find a substitute because I couldn't get baker's yeast in bulk where I live. I think it was Mary Catherine probably who said, try a sourdough starter. So that's how that started. So I may never have discovered the joy of sourdough bread if I hadn't gone plastic free. I might still be buying baker's yeast, which is fine. I mean, it makes delicious bread, but I wanted to stop buying the baker's yeast, be more self-reliant, So right now, my mom's in Canada. I'm kind of stranded here during the coronavirus, but I brought my starter. So all I need is flour, water, and salt to make amazing bread. I made a loaf this morning. It's really good.
0: Oh, wow. So how do we actually make our own little starters? I really, really wanted to bring some of my friends' starters over from Dubai, but obviously being in Australia, that wasn't allowed. So I need to find a way how I can actually start with my
1: own little starter. Okay, it's not hard. So what you do is you you mix together equal parts flour and water, equal by weight. I mean, you don't have to be too... Too uptight about the measurements, but I like to use a scale. This is all on my blog. So you combine flour and water in a jar, stir it every day, get some air in there. After a few days, you'll start to see bubbles. Don't do anything yet. <laughs> Continue to stir it every day. When you see bubbles and it smells, and it might not smell good, it might smell sour, it might smell vinegary, it might smell like dirty socks people who have taken my in-person classes, I have them smell everything. And the one woman, one time she said, you know, it's really helpful to smell this because if I smelled my starter at home, if I was doing this on my own, I would think this had gone bad. So, I mean, and everybody has a different perception of what smells good and what smells bad. I think st- starter smells amazing. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you're first starting, you might think, oh, that's kind of a different smell. So when it bubbles and it smells has an aroma. <laughs> that sounds more appetizing. <laughs> yeah,
0: even if it's a smelly sock aroma, that's an aroma,
1: right? Yeah. so at that point, you remove most of it and then you put fresh flour and water in the jar with the tiny bit that's left in there. Do that every day, usually at the same time of day. and then after about mm, a week then the starter should be rising and falling probably less, less than a week. So that's a week from when you started to feed it. It might take five days to get to that point and then another week or less. It's ready to use when it, after feeding it rises and falls every time. And that will take about, I mean, it depends on your kitchen. If it's hot and humid, it won't take as long. Okay. So this is something you put on a shelf, not inside the fridge. So outside. That's right. Put it on the shelf, on your counter. It will rise and fall over four to eight hours, say. And then you can start baking with it. And the stuff you take out of it, don't throw that out. Save that. Especially right now, you don't want to waste flour because grocery stores are here anyway. It's hard to to find flour at some of them. Definitely. Well, that sounds amazing. And
0: You are somewhat of, I would call it a sourdough queen. (laughs) So for any people that has now actually started with sourdough, and I have to say, like in California, I had the best sourdough bread like ever, and I've always been trying to like make it, but yeah, it hasn't, it hasn't been a success so far, So what would your advice be to anyone that want to make their own
1: sourdough bread as well? First of all, take lots of notes. I would do that while you're baking. You may not want to start off with the bread. You might want to just get used to having a starter and feeding it. And you can make things like pancakes and crackers and waffles and tortillas. And then maybe work your way up to the bread. When you do make the bread, as I said, take notes. So when I first started, I only had a recipe, I didn't have pictures, I didn't know exactly what I was doing or what it was supposed to look like, because it's very different dough to work with than dough you make with baker's yeast. So I thought, well, I want my bread to rise more, so maybe I should let it ferment longer and then it will rise more. And then my loaves started to just turn out terribly. But I was able to look back at my notes after a few batches of bad bread. And I looked and I saw, okay, the one variable I've changed here is the fermentation time. And so I shortened that and then the bread started to turn out better. Because the problem is, if you let it ferment too long, it, w- it will rise up. It will become more you know, filled with air, But if you let it sit too long, it will start to break down back into a starter. So I think that's a mistake a lot of people make because I get that question all the time. They say, oh, my my bread is like a brick. It has no air pockets in it. And I think probably they're letting it ferment too long. But it's hard to know when you're starting out, well, how long do I let it ferment? Because it depends on your kitchen and the heat and the humidity. So if you can look at your notes and say, oh, the last batch I let ferment for... Four hours and that one turned out really well. And this other one I only let it ferment for three and it wasn't it didn't rise as much. Or I let it ferment for five and it wasn't good. You know. Definitely, definitely gonna start taking the notes.
0: But you also offer some boot camps. And guys, this is not doing jump and jacks and burpees at your house. This is actually making <laughs> bread. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? And for people in the U.S., they can, they can probably join some of these boot camps once you're back.
1: Yeah, so these are my in-person classes. I have a few scheduled. So hopefully when things get back to normal, <laughs> I can resume those. Ordinarily, it's a three-day process to make the bread. People always ask me, like, when are you coming to whatever city <laughs> to teach this? Uh, I need like a bus, you know, equipped with an oven and all the stuff. I could just go around and teach people. But uh, in my class, I've condensed making sourdough bread, which is a two to three day process. I condense it down to four hours. Wow. So I have the bread ready at all the different steps. So students come and they will feed a starter. So then they know how to do that. They don't need to make a starter from scratch because, I mean, they're right there. I can just give them a bit of my starter. So they learn how to feed a starter. The next step is they make a leaven or a leaven, which is like a giant starter. And then they measure out the flour and the water and they mix that together. And then we pretend it's the next day. <laughs> and I give them a, a levain that I had started the night before. Okay. And I say, okay, now add this to the dough. And they add that to the dough. So they get to feel everything and do all of the steps. Then the next step is the bulk fermentation and I have a I have some of that already to go and so they they do that and they instead of kneading the dough with sourdough you stretch and fold it. So they do that and after the bulk fermentation that's usually like 4 to 5 hours. I have some dough for them to work on that has already reached the end of the bulk fermentation. So they form their loaves and they put them in a bowl lined with a towel that they have brought to class. And then that's near the end of the class. They're going to take that home and bake it. And then at the end, I have a loaf that I've already prepared, ready for the oven. So then we bake it. So they go through all the steps in the class. It's a fun class. People And the nicest people, nicest, quirkiest people, really interesting people take my classes.
0: Oh, wow. Well, hopefully one day I can attend one of these classes. I'm going to try and give it a go with the sourdough <laughs> doing zero waste bread and things like that. You've literally been living a plastic free life since 2011, which is quite a long time. <laughs> what would you say has been since standing in that aisle? With all the all the bathroom supplies, you know what has been some of the hardest stuff that you found to actually find plastic free.
1: So here, well, or down there where I live, although Canada would be similar, cheese. Oh yeah, it just it's so hard to find. So we eat less cheese, which is good. Not that we eat tons of cheese, but now we we don't eat very much cheese. It's really hard to find plastic free. Some places will let you take a container and you can have them put some in a container, but not very many places. So this, you know, really forced us to change our diet. And I think my, I don't know, I don't think, I know my diet is much better now because it's a lot of vegetables, whole grains, um, legumes, beans.
0: On the cheese topic, I've actually found that I eat more cheese now because every time I feel like, oh, I can't just buy one of those pieces of, you know, (laughs) let me just get the whole wheel. It's not wrapped in plastic.
1: (laughs) so (laughs) I've done that. At the one store near us, they sometimes have whole wheels, but they're not giant. But any wheel is pretty big. Yeah, it is. But they're a little bit on the smaller side. And I, yeah, I would shred it and freeze it yeah that's a solution too yeah
0: definitely and I mean freezing it 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 just works amazing because then you can use it in pizzas or anything you know you just you always have cheese available so yeah if you do never ever ever throw cheese away if you think it's going to get old like grate it and (laughs) just like freeze it crazy birds talking about cheese you have a website full of amazing recipes and I urge every single one of you guys to actually go out there there's there's some great stuff I'm gonna try a few out myself but if we look at some of the recipes and some of the stuff that you do what is some of your go-to recipes that you just would say any of our crazy birds need to go and try out
1: Okay, well, if your crazy birds aren't doing it already, I'd say make vegetable broth. It's so easy. So, as you're chopping vegetables during the week while you're making meals and things, save all the little bits and scraps. So, little bits of onions, cores of tomatoes, the ends of beans, all of these little bits and pieces and store them in the freezer in I store them in glass jars. And then when you have enough, you can make broth. And all you do is throw the bits and pieces in a pot with some water and simmer it for about half an hour, strain it out, and you get delicious free broth. I haven't bought broth for years. That's a trick everyone loves. Everyone, I mean, people, they love it. You can use it to make soup. You can use it when you cook rice, when you cook beans. Another is scrap vinegar. That's on my site, and that's another really popular thing. And similarly, you just save all your apple peels and cores. You can put them in the freezer until you have enough. Or if you make um, an apple pie, you'll have enough to make some right there on the spot. Put the apple peels and cores in a jar, add a spoonful of sugar, and then just enough water to cover. Put a little lid on it, like a little hat. (laughs) You can close the lid also. You can do that. But anyway... Better to have a little hat on it, like for kombucha. Okay. And stir it every day. The bacteria and yeast in, on the apples will start to eat the sugars in the apples and the little bit of sugar you put in there, and they'll excrete acids and carbon dioxide. It will start to bubble up. Stir it every day after about a week. Maybe it depends on your kitchen. It will turn alcoholic, and then after maybe another week, it will turn to vinegar, and then you just strain it out and you get free vinegar.
0: Wow. That's a handy yeah. one. I'm definitely going to try that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's sometimes it turns out stronger than other times, but it's great stuff. I use it I use it for cooking, I use it for cleaning. I use it on my hair a lot to do I do a vinegar rinse. So mm-hmm. I haven't bought cider vinegar for years. Wow. And that stuff is expensive. I mean, it's worth it. It's worth the price because it's good stuff. It has living cultures in it, but I just make it for free out of garbage. Out of what people consider
0: garbage. Exactly. Because that's that's one of the things that's really interesting about some of the recipes that I found that you do, because when people think of okay, you live a zero waste lifestyle, it must be super expensive and you need to purchase all of these things. And then I'm like No, we just make it from scrap, you know, we don't throw stuff away. And that's kind of where, where I think once people start realizing that, because, you know, apple cider vinegar is expensive. If you want to buy like a really good quality one, it's going to cost you, you know, it's not free. Whereas if you make it yourself, it is because you would have bought that apples either way. So now just adding a teaspoon of sugar. So that's actually what, what it's going to cost you the sugar. And that's it. That's right. That's
1: right. It's essentially free. And it's not, you know, it takes a couple of weeks to make, but it's just sitting there. You don't do, you just stir it every day. It'll start to bubble up. It's not like you're putting all of this work into it. And I feel
0: that whole process for me is really amazing. I started making kombucha a few months back and also named my SCOBY, so Scooby-Doo and Lolita. (laughs) So that's the two wonderful creatures that makes our kombucha every week. Ever since I started, it's really amazing to see how the process is. So when you make your tea, you know, how you flavor each week, I'm trying a new flavor and like making notes, oh, the ginger one was nice, you know, next time I'm going to try. So it becomes really, really interesting for me and like, it's a fun project, but yet it gives me something that I would otherwise pay $7 for a small little bottle of kombucha.
1: now. I get it at home for free. Yeah, it's delicious. And the stuff I make is much better quality than anything I can
0: buy. And also doesn't have all the added sugars and stuff that they would typically add in those store-bought kombuchas as well.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the thing I don't understand about store-bought kombucha is how does it stay shelf-stable? If I bottle mine and if I leave it in the refrigerator for a week, it tastes different after a week because it continues to ferment. But the stuff in the store tastes the same all the time. And I don't know why, I don't have the answer, but I don't understand it.
0: Yeah, same, same. I, I asked the same question and I was just like, why? This obviously, there has to be something in it that Yeah, there's it. gotta be something, yeah. <laughs> there's gotta be. Exactly, so, well, when we look at our pantries, There's a few key ingredients that, you know, there's so many things that you can do with it, especially from your recipes as well. So what would you say would be some of the key things that you actually have in your home always and that you recommend, you know, people to have in order to make a lot of the recipes and lots of yummy food?
1: Okay. Well, so things I stock at all times, I would say olive oil, have to have good quality olive oil. We go through a lot of that. Legumes, beans, lentils. I have tons of those. You can cook all sorts of delicious things with those. Spices. So I go through a lot of cumin, uh, turmeric. What else do I use? Trying to think of spices. Like a lot of Indian spices. We love Indian food. So rice, grains, nuts and seeds, flour, and then, you know, fresh produce. So that varies weekly. But the pantry stuff, I have those things on hand all the time. And those are typically stuff you can buy at some of the bulk stores. So it's really easy to get package free as well. Yeah. So when I go to the bulk stores, that's what I, you know, I load up on all those things. Oats, that's another thing. Steel cut oats and regular oats. Well, we're definitely going to try
0: and see to get more like cumin and spices in our pantry as well because it works so so well to actually cook more from home and to know what's actually in your food as well. And the amount of less packaging is fantastic, especially if you can purchase it from a bulk store. So other than being like zero waste and making all of this delicious food, you also started uh, sewing bees back in 2018. Can you share a little bit more about this project?
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. I love this project. I was going to these zero waste meetups where I live in California and we would have a few activities. We we did um, a creek cleanup one time. Um, I did a little fermentation class another time. I organized a couple of swabs. So we'd get together and just bring stuff we didn't want and everybody would just take stuff that other people didn't want. we you know, no money exchange. And then I thought, well, you know, it'd be really nice if we could sew produce bags and somehow get them out in the public. And I didn't know how that was going to work, but I thought this would be this would be a good thing to start. So I had a few people come over. And that first time we got together, uh, I told people, "You like, take a few home if you want some. And then most people said, well, I already have enough. And I gave a few to the community kitchen where I live. And then I think at the end we had like eight. Yeah. I mean, like, that's it. And I said to the one woman who came, I said, how are we ever going to get this thing off the ground? We only have eight bags here. (laughs) But then over time I figured out, okay, you need to cut a whole pile of bags first. Just have people come over and cut piles of bags and then sew them. And then, um, a couple of other people showed up and joined and they had sergers. I have a serger. So I can make a bag on my serger in less than three minutes. It's already cut. Now we can crank them out. When we get together, they're usually about, oh, between six and ten of us. We get together and we can usually crank out a couple of hundred bags in an afternoon. And then I know I know someone where I live at the uh, environmental department in one of the cities. And I told her what we were doing and she said, oh, you know, we have a booth at the farmer's market every three months and you can come and sit in it, give away the bags. Oh, wow. So we, yeah, because if I didn't, if we had to get our own booth, we wouldn't be allowed to be right in the heart of a farmer's market like we are now. So every three months we go and we take about 500 bags and people go wild. (laughs) They go wild. We're mobbed. I mean, you're just like, there's a huge crowd of people in front of our table the whole time they're so happy to get the bags and then they go and use them you know we're not just giving people a cloth bag we're starting conversations and so you know we see light bulbs going off in people's heads all the time and they'll Mm -hmm. say things like i don't like all the plastic but i didn't know what else to do or they'll say you know i have a bunch of fabric at home why haven't i done this i'm gonna go make some bags today Uh And a couple of women showed up from another town, like where I live, it's just one big town after town after town in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. So (laughs) it's someone from another city, a couple of women, they said they came to see what we were doing and now they're doing it and they're at their farmer's market. And we've given away, I'd have to look at the number, but it's over 3000 bags now. Wow. And I mean, that
0: that conversations now, so obviously it starts maybe with a bag, but next time it's something else. And these people will slowly, slowly want to change new habits. And I'm sure you guys, every time you go to the market, you'll probably also find someone else that's be like, Oh, you know, I started with the bag, but now I've given up X, Y, and Z, and it was because of this. So, yeah, I think it's such an amazing, amazing project. And, you know, for anyone that's got extra, I mean, I got so many like tablecloths as a gift, but... They were very stained, you know, but the fabric was beautiful and I knew like I wouldn't use it as a tablecloth cuz like in the middle of the table there's like a beetroot stain or you know some of the stuff you couldn't get out. And so I I wasn't the most handy person when it comes to sewing, so at that time I'm learning slowly. <laughs> But at that time, I, um, I took it to the tailor and I was like, oh, I want to make bags out of this. And I've made the most amazing bags and just from old tablecloths. So instead of just discarding stuff or keeping it in your cupboard because you don't know what to do with it, rather get it out and make something from it and use it again and again.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And all the fabric we use has been donated. We haven't bought any fabric. You'll be surprised how much fabric is sitting around
0: in everyone's or when you want to do more like new curtains and you know what do you do with the old curtains they they can be turned into so many awesome things so yeah very excited about that project as well so thanks for all of your amazing work and for everything that you do with that that's super fantastic. Anna-Marie, what has been one of your most important decisions that you've made around Mama Earth?
1: I guess the biggest decision is to just get started. Just do something. Like it, it can seem overwhelming. I'm a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> and I've, I've gotten over that. Just try it. Just try something. Don't worry about it. Just do anything and take it from there. So... I think a lot of people are paralyzed by this idea. They have to be perfect and it's, it's not possible. Just give it up. Don't <laughs> get it out of
0: your head. And now we are going to move into our final five. So the first one is what is one social media account or publication that you follow?
1: Well, I, if you want to get off of plastic. Story of Stuff is really good. They have a great movie. Well, they have a bunch of them, but the Story of Stuff is a great short film and it talks about the life cycle of materials and our linear economy. So that's a great one. Tree hugger is another really good one. There are so many. (laughs) (laughs) Well I'm sure those are two great ones to to
0: get our crazy words started. And what is your hope for
1: Mama Earth actually going forward? So this coronavirus thing is just awful but it has made I think a lot of people realize oh when we have to change we can change and really quickly and so I'm hoping we learn some lessons from this
0: definitely and
1: learn to treat the you know treat mama earth better exactly we have no other
0: choice what advice can you give our crazy birds this week to help out mama earth
1: I would tell your crazy birds to cook more of their food themselves so when you do that, you know what's going into your food. You can buy less packaging. When you learn how to cook, you learn how to use all of the food that you have on hand. And so you're not only reducing the packaging waste, you'll reduce the food waste. So I think cooking has to be a big part of it. And, and it, you don't have to do all the cooking. Like Get your family involved. Get your roommates involved. There shouldn't just be one person in the home doing all of it. <laughs> Everybody's got to work together. So I think cooking is it's a really big part of all of this because we're, it's, right, our, addic- our addiction to convenience or our reliance on convenience is what has created a lot of our problems. So we need to get back to slow food, <laughs> slower food. Exactly. And what is
0: one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room With people not yet
1: on a sustainable journey. So I don't like to be preachy and scare people. (laughs) (laughs) But if they ask, I think maybe one of the more astonishing statistics is that, well, in the U.S. anyway, we waste about 40% of the food we grow. Everybody can agree that we should not waste food. Left, right middle, far left, all political persuasions. Nobody's going to argue that we, should, that we should stop wasting food. Everyone's going to be on board. So when I first heard that 40% statistic, I think my mouth fell open. I, I couldn't believe it. I had no idea that we waste that much food. And we're not wasting just the food. We're wasting the water and the labor and the soil and the energy that went into growing that food. So it's it's really crazy, and then when the food rots in landfill, it's cut off of oxygen, and so anaerobic bacteria break it down, and they release methane gas, which is bad. Yeah, <laughs> it's much it's, yeah, it's much more potent than carbon dioxide. It's a much more potent greenhouse gas. So that's a good statistic that I think most people haven't heard. I mean, and there it's been in the news a lot more over the last five six years, eight years, but still not enough.
0: Yeah, definitely. So don't waste food, people. There's quite a lot of food that's being wasted. Exactly. Try and use all of those apples, apple peels and everything, every single last bit. Where can
1: people actually find you? So my blog is zerowastechef.com and it's zero all spelled out. I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at zero waste shop. Oh, and I have a book coming out next year. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: wow. So we're definitely going to be keep an eye out for that. That sounds fantastic. And well, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. And I'm going to link all of those social media places and everywhere where people can find you in the show notes. So people can just go over there and click directly to link up with you so thank you so much for being on the podcast
1: oh thank you
0: (laughs) and that's a wrap thank you so much for listening you can find the show notes for this episode at MamaEarthTalk.com follow at Design by Mariska on Instagram or email hello at MamaEarthTalk.com and let me know if there's a topic you'd like me to talk about I love hearing from all you crazy birds New episodes are uploaded every Monday. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss anything. Mama Earth has a voice and it's us crazy birds.